Open your Bibles this morning to Psalms 139, Psalms chapter 139, and today we're going to take a short pause in our series in the book of Mark and address a much needed topic today. In recent weeks, many of us have been expecting the ruling to come down from the Supreme Court of the United States concerning the Dobbs versus Jackson, Mississippi case, which centers around a law enacted by the state of Mississippi that banned abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. This law had been appealed several times by the lower courts and made its way to the Supreme Court. The arguments against the Mississippi law has been that the precedent set up by previous rulings, such as the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that essentially made abortion federally legal in every state, and then the 1992 decision of Planned Parenthood v. Casey that essentially upheld that federal right to abortion prior to 24 weeks of pregnancy. The heartbreaking reality is that these past rulings have put in place the truth that since 1973, over 60 million babies have been aborted in the United States. However, the Supreme Court, just this last Friday, uh, historically, and praise God, they overruled uh, Roe versus Wade and ruled in favor of the state of Mississippi. Can we take a moment and just give a big hallelujah? So this is... This is a day to rejoice. Now, this decision will not end abortions in the United States. This will uh, send the decisions of abortions back to the individual states. And as soon as this happened on Friday, certain uh, states who had already previously passed laws is that they came into effect, some radically in favor of abortion, some, uh, praise the Lord, in favor of life. And in fact, in uh, 2019, because Governor Kay Ivey in Alabama is that she approved uh, the law, she finally penned uh, in law a law that had come up from our state legislature that was the Protection of Human Life Act that essentially bans abortion in the state of Alabama with only a few minor exceptions. And so as of Friday, for the, very, for, the, for the most part in Alabama, is that abortions will no longer take place in Alabama. Let's praise God again for that. Now, however, as Christians, this is not the finish line. This is just the starting line. Because the truth is, in our day today, is that this issue uh, is changing and the opinion has been changing in the United States and it's been changing uh, pretty rapidly over the last just few years. For the most part, polls in the past in the United States have been trending towards a more favorable view of abortion for decades. Uh, but most recently, we've seen a big push in that. In, the, in, that uh, in 2022, a recent Pew Research study showed that 61% of Americans believe that abortion should be legal in almost all cases. The vast majority of Americans today believe that abortion should be legal. And so that being the case, there's going to be a lot of heated conversations in the days ahead from every generation in our society. As I anticipated this ruling was going to be coming down in the days ahead, either favorably or unfavorably, is that I, I knew at some point I felt like God wanted me to address this issue as your pastor. And so uh, this last week, I actually told our team on Monday, it was like, guys, I, 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 this may be the week that the Lord moves me to preach on uh, the issue of abortion. And so I got up Tuesday morning and 
Usually this is when I, it's a big study day for me. If you come to see me on Tuesday and I'm sequestered away somewhere, that's why. And I got up Tuesday morning and was asking, Lord, what is your will? And in our one-year reading that day was Psalms 139. And so I felt like the Lord had given me an answer to my question. Psalms 139 speaks a lot about God's nearness to his people. In Psalms 139 verse 7 it says, Where can I go from your spirit, O Lord? Where can I flee from your presence? But it's also a chapter that shows us that God is not just near to his people who are here on this earth, but God is near to his people even inside the womb. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's word. If you're not able to stand, you feel free to stand in your heart. Psalms 139, beginning verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Let us pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, would you put your word deep inside our hearts today? God, I pray especially for those this morning who abortion has been something that's near to their family. God, for those this morning, God, who have had abortions. Father, I just ask in Jesus' name, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be near to them today. God, I thank you that no sin in your eyes, God, is unforgivable. And God, I thank you that you give us grace and mercy even in these situations. But God, I also pray, would you still our spines today? God, would you speak your truth over us from your word that we would not hear the opinions of society around us, but, oh Lord, that we would be people of the word of God. And that, Father, you would speak into our souls. And God, I pray that maybe even today, maybe today, oh Lord, That, God, your word sows a seed in someone's heart. That, God, one day means that somebody chooses life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of our message this morning is God's Word from the Womb, A Biblical Response to Abortion. Now, let me give you a few things before I jump into our sermon today. First, I want to let you know that this sermon is not intended to be political but it's for the purpose of discipleship. I don't want to be political this morning. I want to be pastoral. I want to be prophetic to us here today. Now, the issue of abortion is flurrying in our politics around us. We can't necessarily avoid that. Uh, But that being said today, our main responsibility as Christians is not what is the Democratic perspective or what is the Republican perspective on this issue, but rather we must be a people who look to the Scriptures The responsibility for Christians is not to find in life our opinions from the White House or from the Capitol House, but rather it should be from the church house, from the Word of God. Ultimately, we should see our world through the lens of the Word. And so my heart today is to give you a biblical perspective of what God would say about life and ultimately the issue of abortion so that in the days ahead... You can best shepherd your own families, but also as you interact with the world around us. The Bible says that we are to be salt and light. And so we need to be salt and light in our day. Secondly, you need to know that this sermon is needed because it's personal. And I know that it's personal for many of you here today. As we talk about the wrongness of abortion, at the same time, I want you to also hear the grace of God. 
the truth is, is that most stats show us that 3 in 10 women in the United States will have had an abortion in their life prior to the age of 45. We, we have church members uh, in our church that have had abortions that I have counseled with and met with here today. And I just want you to know uh, this morning that as we address these issues, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, His grace is available to you today. And if you've already received that grace, then you should not walk in guilt and shame this morning. I've seen God do this in a pretty supernatural way to extend His grace to people before. Several years ago, uh, I was about 24, 25 years old. I was a student pastor. It was actually the first time that I had counseled somebody in an abortion situation. I was getting ready to preach to teenagers on a Wednesday night, and it was about 5.30. My message was already prepared, and I was good to go. But at 5.30, the Holy Spirit of God came upon me and impressed on me so strongly that I should change my sermon. Now, that has only happened to me a handful of times, uh, but this was unique. And it's one of those moments where, Lord, I, I'm okay with you changing uh, your word, but man, 5.30, i got to preach at 6.30. Lord, this is pretty, pretty you know, short notice here, but... Uh, this was the only thing I could get from the Holy Spirit, was that I needed to preach that Jesus could forgive anything. That was all I got from the Lord. I sat down, I wrote out basically just a gospel presentation. This is, the Lord helped me in this, and I felt like he gave me a few thoughts, and I, I preached that Wednesday night, it was just kind of a normal Wednesday night, it was during the summer, and I preached that Jesus can forgive anything. After the service was over with, a young man who was sporadic, but was a part of our student ministry, came up to me, he was there that night, and he said, hey man, uh, can we get together sometime tomorrow? I need to talk. And I said, well, sure. We got together that next day for lunch, and we kind of small talked for a little bit, but I could tell that there was something heavy on his heart. And then finally he just kind of erupted across the table and said, I've got to know, why did you preach what you preached yesterday? I said, it's kind of unique that you said that because uh, I didn't know I was going to preach that message until about 5.30, but I felt like God told me at about 5.30 that I needed to preach that Jesus can forgive anything. And he just erupted in tears, sobbing. And I consoled him for a moment and said, what's going on? And he said, Zach, yesterday morning, my girlfriend and I went and had an abortion. And he said, in all day, he said, I felt lower than I've ever felt in my life. Felt like my life wasn't worth living. And how could I ever expect to do anything with who I am? I felt so low. And he said, I, I was certain that God had abandoned me and that around struggled with that whole afternoon. He said, but around 5.30 that afternoon... I decided that I was going to come to church and see what God had to say about the situation. And I leaned forward and told him, and I said, Young man, God saw you where you were, and he wanted you to know, if not anybody else in that room, that you can be forgiven in Jesus. So I want you to know that this morning, that Jesus can pursue you today with that forgiveness. Finally, I want you to know today that the reason why we are dealing with this issue is because it is urgent and it's timely. Life and death is in the balance. Anywhere each year in America, between 700,000 and 1.2 million American women have an abortion to end pregnancy. And so the church must speak on this issue. So with that being said, I want to give us just four main thoughts today about a biblical response to abortion. So if you're keeping notes this morning, they'll also be on the screen. Our first today is this. A biblical response to abortion must begin with acknowledging the fact that every life is valuable to God even prior to birth. God assigning value to every life even prior to birth is what is clearly seen here in Psalms 139. He says to the Lord, you formed 
my inward parts, and you wove me together in my mother's womb, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In this text, immediately we see that God, even within the mother's womb, was going to great care in the creation of life. God's presence and activity was present there in the womb, showing us that all life is valuable to God at every stage of development. So let me give you a few ways that we can know that God values human life today, even prior to birth from a biblical perspective. The first is this. First, the scriptures show us that human life is valuable to God even before birth because all humans bear the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we see when God was going to create human beings that he said there in verse 26, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. But then in verse 27 is when that actually came about. The Bible says in verse 27, Then God made him in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So essentially, God said, I am going to create the, the, the creation, the, the thought of creation in human beings, and they are going to have my image. But then that didn't come about until the next verse in verse 27. We see it again in Genesis chapter 2, that God took up form, took up dirt, breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living being. So there's so many places we see in Genesis where God proclaimed that humanity would be given the image of God before man became a physical being, before he was physically created. And so what does that say to us here today? It shows us that God from the beginning has always seen humanity as something that is valuable, as special, as unique among all of his created works, is that humans are special. We're the only ones that are created in his image. And that was given to us Even before birth, we were given the image of God. I truly believe that science shows us that life does begin at conception. I believe that's true. We know from science that as soon as the egg, uh, as soon as the sperm fertilizes the egg, is that that human being has its own DNA separate from its mother and father. But even beyond the science of it, as Christians, we can believe that life begins at conception, but we believe the image of God was given at creation. Secondly, the scriptures show us that human life is valuable to God even before birth because God says life is good. In Psalms 127 verse 3, the psalmist said, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Here in this passage, we see that God says that the fruit that comes forth from the womb, that children that come forth from the womb, that they are a gift from God. According to Scripture, children are always blessings. They are never burdens. Thirdly, the Scripture shows that human life is valuable to God even before birth because God is present at every stage of development. Now, we're going to spend some little bit of time here on this because this is so beautiful and it's so biblical for us to see that God is present at every stage of development. The Bible shows here in Psalms 139, verse 13, which is our text today, shows God working to create humanity in his mother's womb. It says, For you formed my inward parts and you wove me in my mother's womb. 
The imagery that we see here as somebody taking great care as though knitting a blanket or a piece of fabric with each little stick of the needle, each little point of the needle point is that God is intricately involved in every aspect. And the scriptures overwhelmingly affirm this. Job said essentially the same thing. In Job 10 verses 8 through 12, this is what he said. Oh, it said to God, your hands fashioned me altogether and would you destroy me? Remember me now that you have made me as clay. And would you turn me to dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and knit me together with bones and sinews. Church family, what these scriptures show us is that at every stage of development of a child, God is there in the womb. And wherever God is, that place is holy. So I want to give you something that you can remember here today. The womb is holy ground because God is there. And just like any place in holy ground, we need to tread carefully on holy ground. And then finally, the scriptures show us that human life is valuable to God even before birth because God has a plan for every life. Psalms 139 verse 16, this truth is made abundantly clear. God says, you have, or, or the psalmist says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Basically, he was saying, while I was still in the womb, you saw me. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. He said, God, you knew from the very beginning all of my days. Not only did you see me in my mother's womb, which shows us that life is a life, even in my mother's womb, but that you've already seen all of my days before I was even born. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, God essentially says the same thing to Jeremiah, that God had a plan for his life even before he was born. He said, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, say again, God forming him in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Is that the Jeremiah is saying there, the prophet is speaking, he's hearing from the word of the Lord and God is saying, hey, before you ever even breached this planet, before you entered into this world in birth, I already had a plan for you. I knew I was going to point you as a prophet. I was working and moving in your life. I heard a protester just this last week, a woman who claimed to be Jewish, and she said that according to her religion, that it teaches that life begins at the first breath but life is not in the womb. And the first thing that I thought, having read and studied the Old Testament, is I don't know what Bible you're reading. Because the Bible over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament shows us that life is life at the moment of conception, even in the creation of God. We see it again. God has a plan for our lives even before we're born. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said the same thing. But you, when you had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me according to his grace. And I remembered one more moment just this last week. Because I was at kids camp this last week. And I was preparing to teach. And I was seeing, you know, these, these we, had, we had, by the way, we brought like 50 children, third through fifth graders from Enon Baptist Church to camp. Praise God for that, by the way. And, and I'm looking at this other church that's there with us, North Mark Baptist Church from Trustville. They brought about 50 kids and they're running around everywhere. And I'm speaking that night and I'm praying, oh God. 
Would you move in these children? Would you draw them to yourself in a real way? Would you do? And this is something that the Lord reminded me of in prayer. I said, Lord, would you do for them what you did for John the Baptist, where you filled him with his spirit in his mother's womb? And suddenly I remember what I was preaching about Sunday. Oh, Lord, that's true. In Luke chapter 1, the Bible says when Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth, who is pregnant with uh, John the Baptist, when they met, the Bible says that, that John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit. God works in the lives of children, even in the womb. When abortion takes place, you are not ending a life that has yet to begin. But you are ending a life that in the eyes of God has already begun. That has a destiny, that has a purpose, thus you are canceling out someone's future. So for all these reasons and so many more, we should see how valuable life is to God. Our second truth today is that a biblical response to abortion must address the fact that abortion is an abomination before God. Now again, I want to say this as your pastor. If you are here this morning and you have had an abortion, or this has touched your family deeply, and you bear the guilt and the shame of that, know that there is grace and mercy before Jesus. And if you repent of that sin, man, Jesus can forgive you of that. And I truly believe one day you will see your child again in heaven. But that being the case, as a pastor and as a student of God's Word, is that it is our responsibility to speak to the reality of sin. And we must see sin for what it is. And according to Scripture, abortion is an abomination before God. The word abomination means wicked, wicked or a disgusting thing in the sight of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31, God spoke of the sinful actions of pagan nations who were sacrificing their children to their pagan gods. And this is what he said. You shall not behave thus towards the Lord your God. For every abominable act, there was a word abomination, which the Lord hates... They have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and the daughters to the fires of their gods, which was a very gruesome practice. They would take an infant child and go to these altars of these pagan gods, and they would lie this empty child, this, this infant child, upon these coals or, or ashes or, or whatever they were using there as fuel for flames to burn their children as a sacrifice to their gods. And what does God say about that? Clearly, we see He says, this thing which I hate. I want to give you three facts to consider about the abominable, sinful nature of abortion. First, the sinfulness of abortion can be seen by its heinous action, which is the murder of the innocent and helpless. There are those who will say that it is wrong or even hate speech to call abortion murder. However, as we previously looked at, the Bible clearly shows that the unborn life is still life. So to willingly kill and end that life is murder in the eyes of God. And the scripture has a lot to say about the killing of the innocent. In Jeremiah 7 verse 6, the prophet speaks about how God's people should avoid unjust death saying, If you shall not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 25, Moses spoke about the curse of God that comes to those who kill the innocent, saying, Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person, and all the people shall say amen. In Jeremiah 32, verses 33 through 35, we see that God's people have 
followed after the pagan gods of the land, and now God's people are surrendering their children to pagan altars and burning their children in pagan altars. Which, by the way, this should say to us here this morning that on this issue and so many other issues, it is possible for us to be a people who claim to be children of God and be so far away from the heart of God. This is what God says to him as a rebuke. It says, they built the high places of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hanim to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I had not commanded them, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this abomination and cause Judah to sin. This passage shows us parents that are intentionally killing their children is something that had never entered the mind of God. And that's not to say that God was not sovereign and he didn't see that this would happen in the future. But God uses this terminology to say, basically, parents killing their children is the furthest thing from my heart and my design. I can't even fathom what you're doing. Church family, a few years back, Planned Parenthood's website Describe the function of abortions. And I will say this, you can't find this information anymore on Planned Parenthood website. Over the last few years, they've essentially whitewashed most of their website to make it more palatable. But several years ago, I personally received some of this information from their website. But they, in one instance, they describe the function of abortion. And they clearly show us that it is death that is taking place. On their website, it showed one procedure that was called a, a D and E. It's called a dilation and evacuation. It said, and I quote, In later second trimester procedures, you may also need a shot through your abdomen to make sure the fetus's heart stops before the procedure begins. End quote. Using cold medical terminology... This description vividly depicts murder and death in the womb. Listen to how this description sounds if you replace the word fetus with child. You may also need a shot through your abdomen to make sure that the child's heart stops before the procedure begins. One word shapes the difference between murder and a medical procedure. And the reality is, is that we all know according to the common grace of God that it is a child in the womb. They were just under a million abortions that took place in America last year, but there were over three million babies that were born last year. And if you went to virtually every one of those mothers and asked them a question in that first trimester, and you said, what is growing in your womb? Virtually every one of them would say it is a baby. But if you go to the one-third percent of that, if you go to the 700,000 that had abortions in America, and you say, what is that growing within your womb? And they would most likely use the term fetus. And the only difference is, is whether or not the child is wanted or unwanted. And the truth is, the vast majority of us in practice, even in our dialect, we use the term child. And why is that? Because it's true. Because we know what it is. Secondly, the sinfulness of abortion can be seen by its selfish motivation. We see by research that the most common reasons why women have abortions is due to sinful, self-centered reasoning. 
Now, I will say this. There are situations where women are having abortions because they are in trafficked situations or oppressive situations that are outside of their control. And I believe that that takes place. And so that is absolutely not a selfish, self-centered reason. We need to recognize that. It's also a reason why I probably would not support uh, the criminalization of the person to get an abortion. First off, because the truth is, is that it takes two to be able to need that abortion. So if you're going you're gonna to send a mom to jail, you got to send this potential dad to jail also. Now, I would support the criminalization of doctors who perform these procedures. While the people who often come into these situations, they come in from so many different backgrounds and situations. I think we always, from hurts, and, and many of them are, are, are abused in many ways, we need to give a lot of grace to these people who have been in these situations. But that being said, the overall majority of the reasons why people have abortions is for self-centered reasoning. Operation Rescue, which is a pro-life organization, reported percentages of the most common reasons why people choose abortion. 21% said they choose abortion because of inadequate finances. Now, it is right this morning, church family, for us to be sympathetic to people in situations like this. We absolutely should be sympathetic, but our sympathy cannot justify sin. The truth is, is that we have government programs, we have church programs, we have situations in our nation where a child can be born, housed, fed, and we have thousands of people who are waiting to love and adopt a child. Poverty is no excuse for abortion. 21% said they'd choose abortion because they are not ready for the responsibility. 16% said they'd choose abortion because the woman's life would be changed too much. 12% said they chose abortion because problems with the relationship or they were unmarried. 11% said they chose abortion because they were too young or immature. 8% said they chose abortion because they already have children who are grown or they have all the children they want. 3% of abortions are because a baby has possible health problems. And less than 1% of abortions happen because of pregnancy out of situations of rape and incest. 4% of abortions happen just for other reasonings. Now, friends, an honest look at these numbers show that roughly 92% of abortions take place because of self-motivated, selfish reasoning. The Bible shows again and again that to live life totally for the will of self and self-centeredness is something that is sin and that is outside the will of God. And it also shows that if you completely live your life for self, that it will lead to brutality. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5 through 5 reveals this truth. Paul said, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. This is where it begins, the foundation of sin. Lovers of self. And then that leads to people becoming lovers of money. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Listen to this. Unloving. Irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal. Haters of God. Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You take words out of there like unloving, brutal, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you see how the progression of loving self can lead to brutality and ultimately to situations like abortion. 
In the same way that it was an abomination to God when the people of God offered their children on the pagan altars of Molech to uh, offer their, their children on the pagan altars of Molech this, and it was a sin before God. I would say it is just as much an abomination to God today when individuals offer their children an abortion on the pagan altar of self-love and self-service. And I would say this to us also here today, church. I believe that it is still the demonic spirit of Molech that is advocating and pressing abortion today. You can watch, honestly, the faces and the reactions of those who are advocating for abortion and you just see the vileness in the demonic. I saw a lady yesterday with a sign that said, My fetus, my funeral. And she was basically saying that it's my choice if I want to kill this child. The third way that we see the sinfulness of abortion is by looking at its evil origin. That's what we were just talking about with Molech. The scriptures show that the practice of unjust death and destruction always finds its root in evil. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, it is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's nothing more destructive and murderous than abortion. Let me give you two quick thoughts about Satan's plan, the evilness of the origin of abortion. First, the Bible shows that Satan has always desired to kill babies and has influenced evil people to carry it out. We see this in biblical history and we see this all the way in world history. We see when evil is truly manifest that for some reason it always lends towards trying to kill children. We see it in Exodus when the children of Israel were getting too large. And what did Pharaoh do? An evil Pharaoh is that he started calling for the killing of every male child of the people of Israel. We see the same thing uh, with Herod when Jesus, just after Jesus was born, is that he goes to Bethlehem and kills all the young boys from two and under so that he may potentially kill the upcoming Messiah. And then you look through through world history and you see uh, situations of genocide. You see situations like in Nazi Germany and other situations. And you just see over and over again, when evil is manifest, is that babies are killed. Let me tell you why I think that is personally. I think because children bear the image of God and Satan hates God. And so he wants to get as many children out of this world as possible. But secondly, I also believe that Satan recognizes that children is one of the number one things that points parents to God. There is nothing more humbling on this planet than to hold that baby child in your arms for the very first time that makes you seem so small. You can have all theories in this world of how you can, you've got your life under control, but you hold an infant child in your hands and suddenly you're searching for God. And I also believe that Satan desires to not only kill babies, but also destroy the potential mothers and fathers. Again, Abortion doesn't happen without a man. Potential mothers and fathers from the guilt and the shame of abortion. The guilt and shame of abortion is something that almost all women who have an abortion feel. Planned Parenthood once even admitted this reality on their website. They said, you may have a wide range of feelings after your abortion. Most women ultimately feel relief after an abortion. But some women feel anger, regret, guilt, or sadness for a little while. 
Now, why would a company or organization that is, that is built on the death of children even recognize that, even put that out there at some point? And the reason why is because as much as they would not want to mention that, the truth is they know they can't get around it because it is inside the design of God after you have had an abortion to know this is wrong. There is something that just doesn't fit. And as much as they would like to step outside of that, they recognize that they cannot get around it. I've heard people speak decades after an abortion that they look at their children, even those who have had children later in life, that they look around their tables and they see their children and they always think about the one that's not there. And again, if that's you this morning, I believe in one day in heaven, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been forgiven of that sin, I believe you'll get to meet that child again. In a song by Tim McGraw entitled Red Ragtop, he tells the story about two young people who had an abortion and the pain they felt afterwards. The song says, Well, the very first time that her mother met me, her green-eyed girl was a mother-to-be for two weeks. I was out of a job and she was in school. Life was fast and the world was cruel. We were young and wild, so we decided not to have a child. So we did what we did and we tried to forget. Again, you can hear it right there. that They're trying to put this behind them. And we swore up and down there would be no regrets. But on the way home that night, on the back of that red rag top, listen to the grief in this line. She looks at him and says, please don't stop loving me. Why does she feel this grief and this shame? Why does she feel dirty and unloved? It's because if they know that there's guilt in what they've done, and the enemy wants to not just kill that child, but to kill that, mo- that would have been mother and that father in that guilt. Friends, today, if you find yourself in this situation of an unwanted or unexpected pregnancy, or if you find yourself in a situation at this point, in some point in the days ahead, I beg you for the sake of the child and also for the sake of your own soul to choose life. Even if that means adoption, don't abort, adopt. Adoption is an honorable thing according to Scripture. And you could be sparing not only the life of the child, but also you could be sparing yourself giving the devil a doorway into your mind in which he would attempt to destroy your mind and your soul. Now before we move on from the sinfulness of abortion, let me give you one side note. This is not a biblical response, but please allow me to give you a historical response to the wrongness of abortion and how it sits in our nation in the United States. Some might say that pro-life, being pro-life is a dated concept and that the freedom of choice is every American's right because we love freedom. I would say, rather, that abortion flies directly against the principles on which America was founded. In the Declaration of Independence, one of our nation's founding documents, it says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are downed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these, listen to this, is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Over 200 years ago, the American nation was formed out of the wake of tyranny. The tyranny of the suppressive and negative treatment of others. It is then by an authoritative force. Tyranny is when somebody who has authority usurps the individual right and wills of someone else without cause or consideration or consultation. This is what was happening in the colonies of America. So we pushed back from this and we formed a new nation based on the value of freedom. 
So in a country that was formed out of disdain for tyranny, that same country now has legalized and funded tyranny against the unborn for decades. Abortion in America is just as hypocritical as slavery was. Abortion and slavery both operated under the premise that some people are freer and more valuable than others. Just as America rightly abolished slavery, I would say on Friday, America rightly abolished abortion on a federal level and they ended that hypocrisy and it is now the state's responsibility to do the same. Our third truth today, very quickly, is a biblical response to abortion must answer how would God desire us to respond to the so-called gray areas of abortion ethics? When I talk about the gray areas of abortion ethics, I'm talking about the hard ones, the hard parts. I'm talking about the situations of incest, the life of the mother, potential birth defects, and even the sad situations of rape. Let me first off say, with as much grace as possible, that I've never been in these situations. And, and I can only imagine how hard these situations would be But I would encourage you and to believe that if we believe that God's word is sufficient for all things in life, that there are answers in God's design and in his truth even in these situations. And also, so from the truths of scripture and even from from situations of godly men and women who have been in these situations, let me give you some perspectives of how they made their decision. First, in the situations where a woman faces the risk of potentially dying, Versus the certainty of the death of her child. And yet she chooses to risk her life. Instead of aborting the child. She would be following the biblical principle of Christ-like selflessness. Now again, church family, I'm not a medical doctor. And I think these decisions should be taken seriously with your Christian doctor. However, and not all these situations are the same. All situations are not equal. However, in this situation, when a mother makes a decision to risk her life for the sake of the child in the womb, I can't imagine another situation where she looks more like Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, 16, Jesus speaks of selfless love, saying, We love by this that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. I remember one of the first times that I saw this manifested in a powerful gospel way. I was preaching on the topic of abortion several years ago at Arley First Baptist Church. And there was a man there in the church. His name was Charles Ballou. He had been a pastor at First Baptist Church Winfield for over 40 years. Had pastored other places in the Birmingham area. He was at one point a semi-pro professional football player. He was in his 80s and his shoulders were still this wide. And uh, he was a godly, godly man, a good friend of mine. I heard somebody say one time, when you go to be a pastor at a church and you've got retired pastors in your church, they're either your best friends or your worst enemies. And this was absolutely has been proven true. And... Uh, Brother Charles was one of my best friends. I noticed during the sermon is that he was weeping pretty heavily. When I was concluding the service, he walked down the aisle and he came up to me and he hugged me and he whispered in my ear with tears. He said, Pastor, may I address the congregation? Now, this was unusual. And I don't know if I would always trust somebody to do this, but I knew Brother Charlie and I said, yes, sir, you can. He turned around and he said, church family, I believe that our pastor is brought us a word from God today, and I just felt led to tell you this story. And he mentioned the year in which he was born. It was the late 1930s. I can't remember the year exactly. He said, my mother was told that if she gave birth to me, it was very likely that she would die and that she was encouraged to have an abortion. 
She prayed about it and she said, God has told me that I am to give him life. And whatever he would do with me, it is his will. So a few months later, she gave birth to Brother Charlie. And a few, within a few hours, she went home to be with Jesus. Brother Charlie was then raised by his aunt. He said that his aunt would tell him often of how much his mother loved him. That his mother loved him enough to give her life for him. Later on, he got into college. The Lord called him to preach. And Brother Charlie was a soul winner. There's no telling how many hundreds, likely thousands, that he led to faith in Jesus. And as he stood up in front of the church that morning, he said, Church family, I've had two people in my life die for me. Jesus died for me first, and my mama died for me second. He said, and because my mama died for me second, I've been able to spend my whole life telling thousands of people about the first one who died for me. It was Jesus. Second situation of women would be the situation of women who have endured the horror of rape or incest, but yet continues to bear the child. She would be following the biblical principle of redemption. In Scripture, the word redemption basically means to buy back. Something that has been discarded, something that has been lost, something that has been broken, is it is bought back. It is put back into use. It's kind of the, the in, in our day and age, it would be called flipping the script. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, us as believers, we are to live as though we are redeeming the time. When you're a Christian, you step into dark situations and you bring the light of the gospel to those situations. You redeem the time. I can't imagine a more dark situation than a situation of rape. I remember reading the personal testimony of a church planter's wife several years ago. Is that this family had moved to a very, very troubled city in our nation and to the worst neighborhood in that city. And they were going there to plant a church and to be church planters in that area. Not long after they had been there and was meeting their neighbors and the people around them, the, the, the young pastor was gone one evening and the wife was there alone and their house was broken into and she was tragically raped. A few weeks later, she found out she was pregnant. Friends and people, or even Christian people around her, told her that she should just abort the child. And even went as far as to say, surely God would understand in this situation. As she prayed and went before the Lord, dealing with the horror of that situation, but also in that moment, she emerged from that moment of prayer, speaking to her family and friends and her husband and the people around them, making this statement, the act was evil, but the child is innocent. She would bear this child. Several months later, she would give birth to this child, and she put that child in the arms of a family who was willing to adopt. The beautiful picture here in this situation is that this was a terrible, tragic, evil situation that this woman was put in. And she was going to have to bear the tragedy of that situation in some way or another the rest of her life. She was going to have to walk in healing and get healing from that the rest of her life. But in the middle of that dark, terrible situation, abortion would only have made that situation darker. But rather, because of Jesus, because of redemption, is that God was able to put one bright spot, one redemptive spot in the middle of all of it, to where in the middle of a worse situation, is that God was able in some way to redeem the time. Church family, we see the principle all over Scripture that two wrongs never make a right, and two hurts never bring healing. Thirdly, and finally, the situation of a woman who has been informed that her baby is seriously ill inside the womb and is likely to be defective in some way. 
But rather, that woman chooses still to bear this child. She would be following the biblical principle of faithfulness and trust. The scriptures show us that as Christians, we must be faithful in all situations of life, even in difficult ones. Children with special needs are special in the eyes of God and are still created in His image. And God still has a will and a plan for their lives. If you have ever spent any time around special needs children, you know that in many cases their joy and innocence in this life is a gift to all who know them. And if a mother and father is told that their child may potentially have major health issues, and yet they choose to honor God and be faithful and trust God, which again, this wouldn't even have been an option up until just a few decades ago. Before that, before we could look for these things in the womb, is we would just be faithful to what God has given us. Now people are given that right and that choice. But the family who trust God in that is that they're honoring God in faithfulness. They're trusting God that no matter what the situation may be, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. But another reason why you should do this, why you should be faithful in these situations, is because we must walk in faith and trust God because medicine isn't, isn't God and doctors are not always right. I remember hearing a story that took place back in 1985. When a missionary family was serving and living in the Philippines with their four children. While there, the mother contracted amoebic dysentery, likely from the contaminated drinking water. She fell into a coma and received strong drugs to combat that infection. While in the hospital, it was discovered that she was pregnant with her fifth child. Those drugs caused the placenta to detach from the uterine wall and deprive the child of oxygen for a time. When it was realized that she was pregnant, doctors stopped the drugs but said that the high doses of medicine had already damaged the fetus. The doctors believed that there was danger that the mother and the baby would not survive. And if he did, he would have very serious problems. And she also herself was still very sick. The husband and the wife went to the best doctor in their area in the Philippines. The doctor leaned forward in a very slow, monotone voice and said this to the mother, an abortion is the only way to save your life. The mother refused the abortion and left the situation up to God. The baby was delivered a short time later, very small, but alive. You know him today as Tim Tebow. God flipped the script. Did something different. Finally, our last truth this morning is that a biblical response to abortion must address what is the Christian response to abortion. Let me briefly give you these four quick things. First, Christians, Christians in this room who have had an abortion should respond to God with repentance and should expect to receive the grace from God and also from their brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here today and you have had abortion, you are not the worst human being on earth. And you are not too far from the grace of God. I say that to you in this room and also to those who are listening online. If you repent of that sin today, Jesus can wash you of that sin. Let me say something else to us Christians today. Dare we not ever get too high and mighty where we would not love a person like this? 
And let me say another thing to you. If you are in that situation and you have bore the guilt and shame of that your entire life and you've never brought anybody into that, it is your darkest secret, then that is one of the things that will keep you bound by the enemy. If you want to be free of that, you get some close godly friends around you and you let them know that so that when those lies of the enemy start to come back in your mind that you're not worthy of love and grace, you let these godly friends speak truth into you. We don't do the Christian life alone. Secondly, Christians who are in this situation where abortion is being considered by those close to them, they should advocate for life in the fullest measure. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. This means that we advocate for it personally when we know people who are considering abortion, but also through the political processes. God has given us the opportunity to do that. And so I believe we should. And church family, I'll just be honest with you. As a Christian, I can't imagine voting for a candidate who would not support life. Thirdly, Christians should, av- should advocate and participate in ways that help offer alternatives to expectant mothers. This means that as Christians, we should all play a part in adoption and, foster and fostering and foster care support and to help places like pregnancy resource centers. James chapter 1 verse 27 says this, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is a Christian responsibility. Let me give you these stats very quickly. This is important. Last year in the state of Alabama, we had roughly 6,000 abortions took place. Right now in the state of Alabama, we have almost 6,000 children who are in the state's care, either through foster care, or they are children waiting to be adopted. And by the way, that's true. At any point in time in Alabama, we have at least 100, or anywhere between 30 and 100 children who the state has exhausted all avenues of family members and friends around them for somebody to abort them. Often, they are children that are older in age, uh, and they're in their teens, or maybe they're young, they're, they're elementary age, and they are just waiting for somebody to come Call them theirs to adopt them. Now imagine this. Now today, abortion is virtually illegal in Alabama. Praise God for that. But let's just say that this next year, that half of that amount that was aborted last year, let's just say 3,000 children, end up in state's care. Either they need to be adopted, or they ultimately need to be fostered, or whatever the situation may be. That would swamp our state system. They already don't have the resources they need to care for the children that they have right now. And while we celebrate as Christians today the overturning of Roe versus Wade, I want you to hear this this morning, church. If we look up a year and a half from now and the states are crying out because they have too many children to care for and Christians, we haven't done anything about it, it will be the greatest display of hypocrisy in the world around us, which will probably lead then to abortion, yes, being taken away from the Supreme Court, but but added as an amendment to the Constitution to the Constitution of the United States, and we would virtually at that point never see it undone. So what is God calling us to in the days ahead? We can celebrate what's happened, but now's the time to go to work. And that's for every one of us. You say, well, man, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm retired. I'll let those young kids go and adopt people. Can I say something to you here today? The call to plead for the orphan and the widow is not the call just for young families. 
Can I say the people who make the best foster parents and the best older kid adoptive parents are empty nesters? You've already raised your kids, you've got money, you've got a big house, you've got experience on, uh, uh, to boot, and you've got empty bedrooms. What would happen today if some of you went home and walked through these empty bedrooms and just sat down on the side of the bed and said, Oh, Jesus, is there a baby who needs this room? Is there a child who needs this room? It's not the question of if you step in the game. It's how you step in the game. How you decide to serve. But church family, if we answer the call, it could also be one of the greatest testimonies to the world around us that Jesus really is real, that he's alive. And then finally, Christians, we should pray fervently that abortion would never be allowed again. We can't stop praying. We've got to keep praying. Because just as there are states like Alabama where now it's virtually illegal, there are states all over that now it is continuing to be more legal, on demand, even to the point of birth. And God still loves those babies too. I'm going to ask Brother Ron to come and begin to play. I know we went a little long this morning, but church family, this is historic. And we have to speak to these issues. This is what I want to challenge you to do this morning. We're going to sing. I ask Brother Ken to come. He's going to lead us in a song, a familiar song. As we sing this to the Lord, let it be your call to action. Maybe it be, oh God, are you calling me to foster? God, are you calling me to adopt? Are you calling me to get trained to do foster respite, which means I'm going to help families do this. I'm going to come alongside them. What is God calling you to do next? As we sing this song, if you're Christian. If you don't know Jesus here today, man, right there where you are, call out to him. Our pastors will be available. I'll be available as we dismiss out here. If you just need somebody to pray over you, if you've had an abortion, and you're bearing the guilt of that, then don't leave here today without letting us pray for you and let God start a work of healing in your heart and life. Jesus loves you this morning. So would you stand? And let's sing this to the Lord. Our pastors will be available up front. If you need somebody to pray for you, you feel free to come.